When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Today's episode is a good one. I have some really interesting stuff up my sleeves. Up my sleeve or is it sleeves? I guess I have a lot of stuff, so we'll need both sleeves for this episode. (laughs) I have a lot to share today. Today we're talking about superstitions, where they've come from, you know, why we believe in things like throwing salt over our shoulders and black cats crossing our paths, being bad luck, you know, the number 13, why that's unlucky, like so many things like that. Why do we believe these things or why have people believed these things and where did superstitions come from? So we'll be addressing that today, but I first want to just kind of launch into why I'm talking about superstitions, like how this at all came into my mind and why I decided to research it. So recently I have had quite the conundrum. Is it a conundrum? An issue, I guess, an issue in my apartment. And the issue has been me just throwing things onto my desk and not using my desk for the purpose of what a desk is used for, aka, you know, sitting at it, doing work. I have done that probably in all of my months and months of having a desk in my apartment. I have truly only used it maybe 10 times. Like that is the extent of me using my desk. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, I am just one of those creative thinkers where I somehow work best on the floor. Like I have created all of my most amazing works, like videos, art stuff, like really everything. My best emails I've ever drafted, my best blog posts back when I had a blog from the floor. And I'd gotten used to, I'm, you know, I'm sitting on the floor right now, shocker. I'd gotten used to podcasting on the floor. I'd gotten used to just like spreading things out and like working on the floor and having my coffee table be kind of a desk that I completely disregarded the desk that I had in my apartment. But I didn't want to get rid of it because I just felt like a desk was necessary in a person's apartment who works from home. Like otherwise people are going to like judge me or something for, you know, not for having one surface, like one table in their apartment. Cause I guess I have like a bedside table, but that doesn't really count. And then I have like a console that doesn't count. A shelf doesn't count. So my only real surfaces, I guess, besides like my tiny little, uh, Island in my, or what do you call that? 
yeah, I'm not cool enough for an island. It's definitely just a countertop, but it is granite, I will say. So I feel very cool for my like two inches of granite I have in there because I literally have the smallest kitchen in the world. But that's a studio life. You know, when you have a studio in New York City, you sign up for that. But yeah, so aside from, I guess, that, uh, the only other surface I have now is my coffee table because I did a thing. I got rid of the desk last week. I really just had like a long, hard talk with myself <laughs> being so dramatic. I Okay. The reason why I'm being so dramatic is I really love furniture. Like if I'm going to spend money on anything, it's going to be furniture that I love that I think is like that, you know, goes together or like doesn't necessarily match, but goes. And that's like my biggest claim to fame is being able to put furniture and decor together and make it look good. Like that is one of the things that I most, I love most to do. Love most, wait, that was like a totally weird sentence. I love decorating. Okay. I love curating. I love arranging things that maybe don't go together naturally, but you know, look good together. I don't know. That's like my claim to fame. My my biggest achievement is being able to decorate my apartments. So I really got attached to this desk, but I finally bit the bullet. I put it up on Facebook Marketplace and I was doing one of those things where like you sell something you really don't want to sell. So you're like, oh, I hope no one wants it kind of thing. Like, oh, I tried, you know, and no one wanted it. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where I knew it just, it didn't make sense to have it here. If you have a studio, you cannot be frivolous with like things taking up space that you don't use. It's just not, it, it's just not productive in this city. So naturally, of course, someone wanted the desk. It's a very nice desk. It's like basically new. So I got this girl to purchase it. She's like an NYU student. So it felt, it felt nice that I was, you know, giving it to a good home, someone that's really going to sit at it and like use it and really love it. So she came and picked it up over the weekend and now it is gone. My space feels bigger because it was a big desk. But okay, here's where the story comes in that is relevant to this episode. So I got rid of the desk and naturally it opened up this big hole on one of my walls across from my bed. And I had this floor length mirror that I was really like, I really wanted to put it across from the bed just because, not because it's like, you know, across from the bed per se, but because it just makes sense in this one little corner of my room. Like I wanted to put a different, like I got this really amazing custom painting that I wanted to put up like right when you walk in the space, you'll see it on that one wall. I'm like describing this, like you guys know, but basically there's two windows I have and I wanted to put this painting in between the two windows, but the mirror was there. So I had to move the mirror. Anyway, long story short, the mirror ended up across from my bed. And when I was FaceTiming my friend Adam to ask him for his opinion about the mirror there, because, you know, we take our selfie mirror, our outfit mirror very seriously. Like this mirror has captured a lot of looks for my friends over the months, the past few months, because I've only been here like four months now. So I figured I would consult him because it would affect his life <laughs> just as much as mine, because, you know, the people love the mirror. So FaceTimed him and he was like, wait, Katie, you can't put a mirror across from your bed. It's bad juju. It's going to give you nightmares. Like evil spirits are going to come out and like bombard you in your sleep or whatever. And I'm like, Adam, oh my God, you're so superstitious. But then I like put it on my Instagram story and I got a bunch of DMs from you guys being like, Katie, you can't put a mirror close to your bed. I researched it. Okay. And apparently it's only bad if you can see yourself from the bed across, like you're looking across from your bed and you can like see yourself in the mirror. And so luckily the way that this 
you know, my configuration of my apartment is, it kind of appears to be across from the bed, but it's really like not exactly in front. So I concluded that it was okay because I can't see myself from the bed. But while I was thinking about all this and like considering the fact that like what I thought would look good as like an interior decorator wannabe versus like what (laughs) spiritually would be good, like it just cracks me up. And like the whole concept of feng shui is so interesting to me because I definitely like if someone came in here like a feng shui expert looked at my apartment, they'd probably be like, Katie, oh my God, because I tend to do things my own way. Okay. Uh, But anyway, that got me thinking about superstitions in general. And so naturally, I dove into researching superstitions, where they've come from, why for so many, you know, decades upon centuries, we have believed in these things and like new ones spring up all the time. So I looked into it. I found out some really interesting stuff. And I also asked you guys over on Instagram to send in your superstitions that you've heard of that you follow or whatever. And honestly, I was expecting like the classic ones and I got way more than I bargained for from you guys. So let's read through a few of them, or I guess more than a few, maybe a handful. Have you ever thought though, okay, side note, little sidebar here, handful, the concept of like a handful, only a handful of people, whatever. Everyone's hand is a different size. So like does someone with a larger hand, I have very small hands. Does someone with a larger hand get a bigger handful? Like, is their handful bigger than my handful? Okay. Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to read some of these. Okay. First one, um, not taking a sip after you cheers. Someone is bad luck. Okay. I've heard that one before. Don't wash clothes on New Year's day. It will wash someone out of the family. That one I had never heard. But to be quite honest, I always spend New Year's Day like deathly hungover. So usually the only thing that I'm doing that's productive is ordering Shake Shack. It's been kind of my ritual to order Shake Shack on New Year's Day recently. And I feel like I'm going to keep it going. Okay, next one. Don't put your purse or wallet on the ground or your money will run away. (laughs) Okay. I'd never heard this, but I definitely put my purse on the ground all the time. So I'm going to not do that anymore. Okay. If your nose itches, it means someone is going to kiss you soon. All right. BRB going to make my nose itch with something in this apartment. Just kidding. Wow. I'm thirsty. Okay. Next one. When you drop an item of cutlery, you can't be the one to pick it up. All right, that must have come from someone that was just lazy one day and was like, oh, I can't be bothered to bend down and pick up my own cutlery because it's bad luck. (laughs) Wearing red underwear on New Year's Eve brings love that year. When your ear burns, someone is talking about you. The right ear means spite. The left ear means love. Never try on a ring on your left ring finger or you'll never get married. Okay, I'm screwed with this one because I've actually I've tried on my mom's wedding ring all the time when when I was like younger. And even like still I try it on sometimes because I just like want to feel something. (laughs) So I guess I'm never getting married. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of superstitions or like the word superstitious, I think of that song by Stevie Wonder, the one that was in Haunted Mansion, that Disney movie with Eddie Murphy. And I will never forget Like, I never don't associate that song with that movie. It's so funny. But in the song, here are the lyrics to like one verse. It's when you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. 
So guys, how far will you go for your superstitions? Because it isn't the way, apparently. Humans have a tendency of wanting to explain things, of needing to explain things. We want to feel in control of situations and we invent control when we don't have any. We invent answers when we don't have any by justifying, by rationalizing things. Like, oh, this happened because of this. It makes us feel in control. And this desire to rationalize, to justify, my friends, gave birth to superstitions many, many moons ago. Superstitions began centuries ago when our ancestors tried to explain mysterious circumstances, ailments, events, as best as they possibly could with the knowledge they had. A reason why humans have this tendency to rationalize things, to need to rationalize things, is because of this theory called cognitive dissonance. I learned this way back in like freshman year of college and reading about it again recently just like brought up all these flurries of past conversations I had in class over this. I had this really funny professor freshman year of college and I just very distinctly remember him talking about cognitive dissonance. So it refers to a situation involving conflicting attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors. So the key word here is conflicting. It's like when you know something is bad for you, like in life, you know something you're about to do or something that you are doing is bad for you, but you do it anyway. That's basically the concept, like hanging out with a toxic ex-boyfriend and hiding it from your friends. You know that this ex-boyfriend and hiding it from your friends is bad for you, but you do it anyway. So you're conflicted because you know it's bad, but you do it anyway. So doing these conflicting things produces this feeling of mental discomfort, which obviously our bodies don't like discomfort. They don't like feeling off or unbalanced. So our bodies want to correct this. They want to balance out as we do. Our bodies always want to protect and balance ourselves. So this leads us to needing to change one of these conflicting attitudes or behaviors or events. So obviously we need to pick one, either the ex-boyfriend or our friends and tell the truth or whatever. We got to pick one or we'll continue to feel uncomfortable forever. You know, we need to get rid of that discomfort. Our bodies crave balance and comfort, right? So essentially, rationalization makes us feel more at ease because it resolves this uncomfortable cognitive dissonance. You may feel less anxiety because, you know, justifying, figuring out why you're doing something or, you know, kind of just telling yourself it's okay, right? So like you're you're not going to stop seeing the toxic ex-boyfriend, right? You know, that's usually how it goes. It's like we don't stop seeing the toxic ex. We rationalize in our minds, oh, well, I'm only doing this because I'm getting closure or, you know, I'm only smoking because it reduces the stress that I feel about this situation I'm dealing with. You know, we rationalize it. We justify our behavior because that gets rid of the uncomfortable combination, right? So we do this often. We justify our behavior because we can't be wrong, right? We don't want to be wrong. We always want to be right because like who wants to, who wakes up in the morning is like, oh, I want to be wrong today. No one. So that is why we have this need to rationalize our behavior because we can't be wrong. And the origin of cognitive dissonance is actually really interesting as well. 
The theory was first investigated by this guy named Leon Festinger. He was studying the behavior of a cult that believed the earth was going to be destroyed by a huge flood. So our friend Leon actually read about this cult while he was at the University of Minnesota as part of their research team. So essentially, the cult believed that the end of the world was upon us. And this woman named Mrs. Keach reported receiving messages from extraterrestrial aliens that said that the world would end at a great flood on this specific date. And she somehow managed to attract a pretty sizable group of followers who left their jobs, schools, and spouses and literally ran away and gave up all their money and possessions to prepare to depart on a flying saucer that, according to Mrs. Keach, would arrive to rescue the true believers and everyone else would just like die, I guess. So Leon and his colleagues, they were super interested in this. They went and posed as believers and crashed the group meetings and secretly took notes on everything. So eventually the day arrived, the day that Mrs. Keach and the believers, you know, thought that this saucer was going to come down and rescue them and everyone was going to perish that wasn't a true believer and all that. So the day came, the day went, and nothing happened. No saucer, nothing. So after this was learned, Leon was really interested in how the true believers, as they called themselves, would react to this. Would they feel stupid for believing in this Mrs. Keach character who was clearly not in her right mind? Would they say, oh, like this woman is crazy. She's to blame for us giving up our lives, our wealth, our families to blindly follow her? Like, would they blame her? Would they blame themselves? Like, who would they blame? And so some members admitted that they were ashamed by their belief in the flood, but super, super committed members were actually more likely to point to some shred of evidence to show that they were right all along. So like I said earlier, they could not be wrong. They'd put way too much into this. They cannot be wrong. And so they did what us humans do. They searched for evidence. They tried to justify it. Obviously, the earth was not destroyed by a flood, but it was only because of the faithfulness of the cult members. Like the cult members saved earth from the flood because they recognized the fact that it was going to happen. Like that is what they told themselves and everyone who would listen to them. They searched for evidence where there was none to resolve the discomfort they felt when it turns out they wasted years and years of their lives and you know made people think that they're insane to prepare for an event that never actually happened. So they were protecting themselves by coming up with this alternate narrative. They were rationalizing the why. They were linking cause and effect, which we do all the time. And so all of this cognitive dissonance, the conflicting feelings that we get that we need to resolve by coming up with reasons where there are none, this all layers into superstition, the reason for superstition. Our ancestors needed to find something, some shred of truth to attach to something happening. And when it comes to rationalizing events like someone dying because, you know, a person walked under a ladder once and so clearly, you know, the one person that walked under a ladder died the next day, everyone's going to die now if they walk under a ladder or if you see a reflection in the mirror from their bed, you know, and there, there's going to be an evil spirit that's going to come and get you. Like this kind of justification, you know, someone dies because they did this, like that can do a couple of things 
to a society. Number one, it can make people feel more in control. Like, oh, if I avoid walking under ladders or opening umbrellas inside or something, I will not die. <laughs> like, yeah, it can make people feel more in control, I guess. Or, you know, it can cause a great deal of unnecessary fear and the death of thousands of black cats for no reason. So let's discuss some interesting superstitions and where they came from. Dispel some fear and really get to the root of it. I find once you get to the root of something, once you understand it, the fear tends to dissipate. So I found a publication from 1896 called Popular Science Monthly. It was published by a D. Appleton and Company in New York. So right here where I am currently. And I want to read you guys an excerpt. So this is like a very early account of superstition that I found. So here's what it says. A curious superstition held by young men is that if one places a snake's tongue upon the palm of his hand beneath the glove, it will cause any girl, regardless of her previous indifference, to ardently return his passion if he be enabled but wants to take her hand within his own. This resembles, to a certain extent, the former use in Germany of a dove's tongue, which was similarly employed, and furthermore, if one became aware that the choice of his heart failed to respond to his affection, he had only to place a dove's tongue within his mouth and snatch a kiss when the girl's objection or indifference to him would instantly vanish. I had a good laugh after reading this the first time. So basically, if a girl to a guy in these times in the 1890s or so was like, I don't like you. I don't return your love. You know, like, I don't want to marry you. I am only 14. <laughs> like if she's like that, you know, this guy, oh, totally fine. Just get a snake, snake tongue, put it under your glove. Like you're good. She'll love you. Or the freaking, the, the crazy part was like the dove's tongue in Germany, I guess, when you put it in your mouth and then just kiss the girl. Like literally she does not want to be kissed by you and you just kiss her with a dove's tongue in your mouth. Like imagine how, oh my God, I would think you are absolutely crazy if someone were to do this to me. And yet this was a superstition of the time. And it all goes back to our need for justification. Like, oh, a girl doesn't return your feelings. Well, you must not have had a snake's head or a dove tongue handy to woo her. And that's the reason why she doesn't love you, et cetera. So a bit of justification as to why, why a snake's head. I found this interesting. So per the same publication, beliefs and superstitions relating to snakes are exceedingly common. These reptiles by their graceful and sinuous movements and the terror of their bite appear at once to command reverence and awe. So naturally, if snakes command our attention, you know, in nature, they must also command attention from girls in life. That just sounds so stupid to me when I say it out loud. Okay, next superstition we're going to debunk. Why is the number 13 unlucky? Friday the 13th, the 13th floor in a building, Taylor Swift's favorite number, even though it's supposedly unlucky. So the number 12, let's talk about that first. So the number 12 is supposed to represent 
wholeness. And there's a few reasons for this. Obviously, the 12 disciples, 12 months in a year, 12 gods in Olympus. So the number 13 is the ugly duckling in comparison to the wholesome, amazing 12. It's seen as uneven, irregular, and cursed. But why is it a cursed number? So the earliest reference to the belief that 13 was unlucky that I could find is in the 1869 biography of Giacomo Rossini, an Italian composer, and he regarded both Fridays and the number 13 unlucky in life. I'm not sure why Fridays in general, but especially Friday the 13th. But guys, he actually proved himself right because he died on Friday the 13th. November 13th, 1868. So I wonder if it was on purpose to really drive home his point. Um, So yeah, he passed away in 68. His biography was posted or posted, LOL, published in 69, but he ended up, he passed away on Friday the 13th. Crazy. So another reason, obviously, Judas always goes back to something evil, I suppose. Judas, aka the man who betrayed Jesus Christ, was the 13th guest to arrive at the Last Supper in the New Testament of the Bible. And if you actually take a close-up look at Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, the painting, da Vinci actually painted Judas knocking a shaker of salt over on the table with his elbow. And that would make some ears perk up if you guys have ever heard about, you know, if you knock salt over on a table, you have to throw it over your left shoulder or whatever because it's unlucky. And the reason for that is Judas. Judas is to blame. So because Judas betrayed Jesus, the salt he knocked over is now associated with his betrayal and bad deeds. And, you know, apparently throwing it over your shoulder, like I said, it supposedly blinds the devil, which is interesting. So. You throw the salt over the shoulder and you're good. You're in the clear. Have you ever wondered? Okay, this is another one. Have you ever wondered why we say bless you after someone sneezes? Obviously has to do with superstitions. Okay, one belief is that it originated in Rome when the bubonic plague was at large tearing through Europe. And two of the plague's symptoms, obviously, was coughing and sneezing. So apparently Pope Gregory I suggested saying God bless you after a person sneezed and this would magically protect them from death due to the plague. Of course, people looked to him for guidance during this really crazy uncertain time of widespread death. And so he had to come up with something. So naturally point to God, right? Um, So the expression may have also originated from superstition. So some people believe that the custom of asking for God's blessing when someone sneezes actually began when ancient Greeks and Romans thought the soul existed in the form of air and resided in a person's head. So your soul was actually an air form and it you know lived inside of your head, supposedly. So a sneeze might accidentally force the soul, like a person's soul, out of their body, like projected out of the body, unless God blessed you supposedly and kept it in there for you safe and sound. Some ancient cultures also thought that sneezing pushed evil spirits out of the body. So evil, not the soul necessarily, but evil spirits out of the body. Like sneezes were evil. 
And this could cause harm to other people that were nearby that the sneeze got on because then the evil spirits could now be sucked into these innocent bystanders' bodies. And honestly, I feel like as a kid, when I was growing up and like learning that you're supposed to sneeze into your the crook of your elbow or whatever and not into your hands, like someone should have told me this because I feel like then I would listen. <laughs> so the blessing was said to protect the person that sneezed and also the people around them. So very interesting, also very classic, you know, of course. The ancient people couldn't figure out the science behind why we sneeze, the plausible reason you know, why we sneeze, which I believe is because our body is cleaning out, like there's something foreign and ticklish inside of your nose or somewhere and your body wants to get it out, hence the sneezing. I assume that's what it's, you know, how it, how it happens. I actually didn't research that part for this episode, but, you know, the ancient people couldn't figure out why we sneeze. So they had to naturally make it about spirits or something that they also couldn't really wrap their heads around because, you know, they kind of go together. It's like, oh, we don't understand why this thing happens and we don't really fully understand spirits. So let's just lump them together and make it, you know, one because of the other cause and effect, you know, really interesting. Okay. So what about black cats? Why are black cats bad luck? A black cat crosses your path. Why are you then cursed? So it actually dates all the way back to the middle of the 14th century. In the Middle Ages, they somehow became associated with the devil and witchery. So they actually nearly went extinct during the Black Death, aka the bubonic plague pandemic, which was around 1348 CE. Apparently, many women who were presumed to be witches during this time, we have a whole episode on witches if you guys are curious about that, but a lot of women that you know, ended up being witches apparently during this time actually had taken in some alley cats to keep them company because people didn't want to spend time with them. So they had to get companions somehow, obviously. And so many alley cats happened to be black in color. So people became convinced that black cats were actually witches. Like they had made themselves into animals that, you know, the familiars. So they chose these cats to be their, their familiar, aka the thing that they could channel their energy into and like take the shape of. So essentially, if you saw a black cat, it was a witch. So you didn't want a witch to cross your path. You didn't want a black cat to cross your path or you'd be cursed. And so people decided that black cats needed to be removed from society. But the people killing the black cats were actually shooting themselves in the foot, literally, well, figuratively, because by killing off thousands upon thousands of black cats, it actually only worsened the bubonic plague because it was widely spread by rodents. And the cats that were killed, they could have helped remove the rodents before the rodents could get the disease and spread it. But alas, the people were too superstitious, which as our friend Stevie Wonder said, if you believe in things you don't understand, you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. They should have listened. Even though there's no physical way the people could have heard the song because it came many, many, many moons after their existence. But, you know, you know what I mean. So the last one I'm going to discuss, why, this one I've always wondered about, why do we wish on stray eyelashes that fall on our faces and then blow them away? Like, why do we take an eyelash and wish on it it's bad luck not to. Well, unsurprisingly, once again, it has to do with the devil 
I feel like people's go-to back then, like back in the day was, oh, I can't explain this thing, but I want to explain this thing because obviously, like I said, in the very beginning, we have to justify, we have to figure out why things are the way they are because otherwise it makes us feel off kilter and off balance. So people need to figure out why. And usually in the olden days, they just went straight to the devil. That is why. So apparently when you blow away an eyelash rather than keeping it on your face or not blowing it away, you shoo away the devil. In this superstition, the devil supposedly tries, I don't know, the devil is up to something, tries to collect as much human hair as possible. Because if they collect a ton of human hair, they apparently can somehow gain power over humans. So when you blow away an eyelash and it flies across the room to land wherever the heck it lands, the devil can't have any power over you, which is really interesting. I wonder how hair, I I guess maybe I'm like picturing like all the eyelashes in the world coming together and like creating a human form out of eyelashes. And it's really freaking me out. Like I wish I didn't picture that, to be honest. So, okay. That part we got out of the way. Like, why do we blow it? But the wishing part. So it's unclear why we wish on eyelashes, but I assume it's because, you know, we just cheated death by blowing away the devil's only hope to take over our soul. But there is this folklore tale over in Stropshire, England, that says if an eyelash comes out, put it on the back of the hand, wish, and throw it over the shoulder. If it leaves the hand after you throw it, the wish will come true. So I suppose if it sticks to your hand, it won't come true, which is kind of sad to hear. (laughs) So anyway, that's as far as I got with the eyelash uh, debunking. Also, yeah, that was just a few superstitions. I'm considering doing a second part to this episode or just continuing the conversation because I genuinely didn't think it would like there's so many superstitions out there and they all have such deep roots in so many different cultures, which is really interesting stuff. I love reading about it. I love hearing about it. So let me know if you guys want a part two to this superstitions episode. But I also just the cognitive dissonance whole thing really got me thinking as well in my own personal life, because I feel like when I have a conflict, like when I feel uncomfortable in my daily life, it's usually because I'm having a conflict. Like there's something that I'm doing that doesn't line up with my morals or doesn't line up with society's general morals. And so I do the thing all the time where I try to justify. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm doing this thing that I said I never would do. Like I'm, you know, triple texting this guy that I really like. And then, you know, I, I, I self justify. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? I'm just, you know, being, what's it called? Assertive. And like, I, you know, I just try to like come up with reasons as to why I'm doing things. Uh, yeah. I feel like I, I often just, I need to find a reason as opposed to just living and making decisions and not having to justify myself. I also feel like women, we constantly are justifying ourselves and we're constantly saying the funniest things. Like when someone compliments your outfit, I don't know if this is in the same realm of justifying, but you know what I mean? When someone compliments a woman's outfit, they're often, you know, their next thing they're going to say, well, like the thing that the person that's being complimented says is like, oh yeah, it's from Zara or it's from free people. Notice how often this happens in your life when the person can't just take the compliment because they 
feel awkward. They, they feel like it's too personal, like too like putting them in the, in the spotlight and they don't want it to be all about them. So they channel the energy into where the dress is from over, oh, thank you. Like they don't just say thanks, like I love it or something. It's usually like, oh, it's from, like I have this tendency to do that all the time because I assume the person's asking me or saying this compliment because they want to know where the dress is from, not because they just want to tell me that I look nice in it. So I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with us needing to justify ourselves. Like every purchase I ever make, I always have to justify it over just saying like, oh yeah, I deserved this because I don't even need to deserve it sometimes. Like you should just do things because it makes you feel good, not because you necessarily worked towards the goal all the time. I feel like sometimes it's great. Like, oh, once I hit this like milestone or this goal, like I'll treat myself to this. I think treating yourself is a lovely thing, but it shouldn't be the only time you allow yourself these small pieces of joy and these things that you acquire that make you happy. Like you shouldn't just get flowers when you are celebrating something. It should be an every week thing if you can afford it. So I don't know. That's just me. That's my two cents. And that is all that I got on superstitions for this episode of the podcast. Hope you all enjoyed. And I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye. Bye.